Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 11. So, we got a lot to talk about since the last time we all met. So, Dragons of Tarkir is fully spoiled, and we have a couple other segments to do today. So, for this podcast, we're going to do the trending segment. I know we've kind of omitted that from the last couple of podcasts, but so... For the rundown of episode 11, we're going to do the Dragons of Tarkir spoilers, the trending segment, we're going to talk a little bit about the Star City games and what happened with those, and the printing of Damnation in the mocks uh, as a promo. So we'll go off about that too, uh, and talk about rats and stuff like that. So as always, myself, Seth, and Richard here, the MTG Podcast crew, how's it going guys? Good. Hey, good. All right, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at BoltSnapBolt, at SaffronOlive, and at, of course, MTGGoldfish. And I wanted to pass it off. So, Richard, the site has something that everyone should be looking at, and what is that? Yeah, we launched a Teespring campaign for the official MTG Goldfish t-shirt. Uh, so it's 20 bucks, and you can get a t-shirt with the brand new MTG Goldfish logo on it. So it's available for, I think, about a week more. Uh, you'll find a link to it on our homepage, mtgwolfish.com. So please go order your cool T-shirt, and if I see you at a GP, I'll give you a high five. <laughs> Sweet. So high five from Richard. Me and Seth are going to be sporting them. Uh, it's a now a rule, so Seth, we're going to have to wear them when we do the podcast. <laughs> they won't be able to see it, but we're repping the, uh, the cool new logo and the T-shirts. It's going to be awesome. That logo is pretty cool, not going to lie. All right, so let's just jump right in. So thoughts about the whole spoiled Dragons of Tarkir. Richard. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of neutral on it. Uh, I'm a spiky player, so the appeal of dragons to me isn't that high. You know, I, I like dragons, but it's nothing you know, special to me. So I, I don't see any cheap, aggressive, you know, efficient cards outside of a couple of mono-red cards. So, you know, I, I feel like the Dragons of Tarkir cards won't shine until we get a new standard, so when Theros rotates. Um, but, yeah, so far, meh. We'll, we'll see how it goes. So far, meh. Uh, Seth, do you share that meh uh, mentality? I, I share the meh. Uh, <laughs> it's, I don't, I'm not the intended audience for this set, I don't think. I am a pretty spiky player, too. So a bunch of seven drops just isn't my thing. I don't see many cards that are just obviously powerful on their face. Like compared to Fate Reforged or Drag or uh, Kanzachar, there's just not many cards that jump off the spoiler. Like, wow, I can't wait to play that in Standard or Modern. So I don't know. I'm kind of in the middle. We'll see what happens. Maybe it's better than I think. So don't let don't let Seth ruin your guys' take on Dragons of Tarkir. He's just mad about Haven of the Spirit Dragon. Don't no yeah. Like I was I was super stoked about the set. Actually I'm still pretty stoked about the set. I think there's like this set is very weird in the sense that like it very it seems very tailored to like a casual audience. But I feel there's a lot of cards I don't know about a lot of cards, but there's definitely a few amount of cards that are I feel are overlooked, not just from like a financial standpoint, but from just a constructed standpoint. Uh, I don't like, yeah, I'm not really like into the dragons and the whole casual setting, but there are like some questionable cards that they put in there. Like I don't, 
Like, I know this is being drafted with just Fate Reforged and not Kanza Tarkir, but, like, did we really need Summit Prowler, like, back into Dragons of Tarkir? Like, I understand there's some dragons, like, in the background of the art now, but, like, <laughs> it, it's, like, <laughs> is Summit Prowler, like, I'm not a limited guy. Is Summit Prowler, like, really needed and limited? I don't, I don't know. So, there was some questionable things once the whole spoiler was out, but I'm still remaining optimistic about there's being there there's a couple cards in there that just are being overlooked for now. So if you had to give Dragons of Tarkir an overall grade, so we're each gonna give an overall grade, the crew here, so I'll start off with Richard. So what's our grading scale? So just I guess an indi- just as an individual, uh I guess it's gonna be biased, so Alright, so we're going A, B, C, D? Yeah. Uh I'll give this set maybe a C plus. It's, I think it's about average. You know, it's not terrible. It's not exciting. So I think it, it just sits there in the middle pack. You know, it's a serviceable set. I would not be disappointed to play Dragons of Tarkir, but it's not something that I'm, you know, running out to my store to play immediately. Yeah. So you can include F. So are you sticking with the C plus? No, it's definitely not a fail. <laughs> I think it's slightly <laughs> above average. You know, I... I Okay. I don't like the gameplay, but in terms of, say, story, art, and kind of the overall feel of the set, I think it's really done really well. Um, you know, it's kind of like Innistrad, the, the theme, the thematic stuff they added in there was, like, really good. Uh, but, you know, I like Legacy. I like my cheap cards. It doesn't fit that role, so I'm not too excited. But C, C+, plus, I think, is pretty good. All right, so C-plus from Richard. Seth? Oh, for me, I think it's a D. I mean, <laughs> a D for dragons, right? Um, yeah, D for dragons. <laughs> um, it's it's just not my thing. Like, it's fine, and I'll play it because I play all the sets, and I see tons of cards that are going to be awesome and casual and in EDH and a few that could be good in standard, but I I'm not a big art guy. I'm not a big flavor guy. Like, it's, I get that that part of it's really good, but that's just not me. So, so for me, it's a D. You know, I sat before the podcast and really tried to, you know, be fair with this set in terms of, like, a set. So I'm going to give it a C-plus as well. So the reason I didn't give it a B is because, like, there's just, like, I understand it's Dragons of Tarkir, but there's so many dragons, like... I just feel like there's just, like, not enough for me to really, like, as a competitive player, as a spiky player, like, the art is great, the flavor is very good, the storyline's great, but that doesn't really appeal to me, so, yeah, I'm a little biased, but there are a few cards that I'm really excited about, and a few cards that I think are being a little, you know, overlooked, so, for right now, we'll see, like, where certain cards end up. Obviously, in the first week of, you know, a Star City Games, we're going to see very quickly where everyone's head's at with this set. But yeah, like, again, Dragons of Tarkir, I understand, it's just like the overabundance of dragons just kind of killed it for me. Mostly because there's just, like, so many, and, like, I know a lot of them, like, 90% of them won't see play in a constructed setting. So, and in limited, that just means, like, whoever has the most dragons wins. Like, whoever plays their... Arashin Sovereign first is pretty much going to win. I don't know. So, C-plus for me, too. So, just to stick with Dragons of Tarkir, so 
What about some financial implications of this set, Seth? Well, I mean, I'm working now on my uh, expected value article. I'm not quite done yet, so I can't really speak to that. Um, just at first glance, it seems like a pretty low value set. Like so many casual cards, uh, so many mythics that are don't look like they'll be expensive or really played. So, but that also means that there should be some value sitting around for something to soak up. I'm not sure what that is yet, but something I think will come out of this set. I just don't know what. Yeah. So Seth deals with, uh, he releases the EV sets for each set on mtggoldfish.com in the articles. But, um, Richard, you posed this question. We were talking before the podcast, like, can't just a set just have, like, just be a low EV. Like, so what does that really mean? Seth, can this just have a low EV? Well, yeah, sets can definitely be low EV. Like, that can definitely happen, but right now this set looks like it would be very like off the charts low EV if some of the predictions I'm seeing from various writers and financial people come true. Like, uh, so I think it's either going to be like unprecedentedly unprecedentedly low in EV, or something is going to be worth more than we think. Yeah. So unless like I mean Seth were discussing so unless. Narset and Sarkan are both like $40 Planeswalkers. I mean, it could be as simple as a rare, you know, a few rares going from $1 to $3 or a Mythic, you know, soaking up some more value. So, you know, it's it's really tricky. I think a lot of people are very conservative on this set, but the one card, you know, and I keep saying that cards are going to be overlooked. I want to throw this out there. I think, you know, I played a playtesting video showcasing some of the Dragon's Tarkir cards. And I feel like Commune with Lava is a very good card and one that I felt like I wanted to play like every game. So we're going to go into that a little bit more when we talk about the uh, specific cards that we wanted to handle. But I mean, I'm really liking Commune with Lava. I think it's not a $1 card. But, you know, uh, even Brian David Marshall went to go as much to say that it's the red equivalent to Sphinx's Revelation. That's a bold statement. I, I understand it gives you a lot of card advantage. What do you think, Richard? Uh, I think it does. I like Commune with Lava. The The key part is you can play it over two turns. So you can instant speed it, untap, and then play your cards. So I think, you know, if there's a big red deck or, you know, a red-green devotion deck or something like that, uh, you'll definitely see some of this card in play. Uh, it's a bit slow, so it might be relegated to the sideboard. Where I'm interested to see it is in kind of storm-like decks. Uh, it gives you a chance to draw extra cards to try to go off, and you can do it at instant speed. So if your opponent wants to disrupt you, they're going to have to do it um, over two of your turns. So it's going to constrain their mana. So I'm very interested to see if this actually shows up in modern storm. Um, but you know, it's a very powerful effect that we haven't seen before. You know, red should not draw this many cards. So it'll be interesting to see what we can do uh, with this effect. Yeah. So just to continue with the individual cards, I know we said we were going to do that in a segment, but, I mean, we're already talking about Commune with Lava, so that's one of our cards. Seth, what do you think about Commune? Well, I mean, a while ago I did an article about the types of cards that are undervalued during pre-orders, and these cards are usually uh, competitively priced, which Commune is, and they're also effects that we've never seen before. And I think Commune fits in both of those categories. 
So I think Commune has a chance to be way better than everyone thinks. Um, I'm not exactly sure where it fits, but I think it'll find a home somewhere in standard and maybe modern as well. Yeah, like I know living the dream of like pumping like eight mana into this or something like that would be amazing. But even like, I mean, I, I would commune for three and that's still like insanely good. I, I don't know. That's just me. I think it's one of those cards, like you said, uh, Seth mentioned under costed pre-orders. Uh, so that's certainly one of them and one of the cards that we wanted to highlight because I think it deserved it. So moving right along, we're going to talk about a few more specific cards and then wrap it up for Dragons of Tarkir. So the next card we wanted to talk about is Myth Realized. And it's the spoiler's up. You can see it on mtggoldfish.com. But just to have the text of the card, Myth Realized is a one-white enchantment. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a lore counter on Myth Realized. Two generic and a white, put a lore counter on Myth Realized. And then one white, until end of turn, Myth Realized becomes a monk avatar creature in addition to its other types and gains this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lore counters on it. So, Richard, what do you think of Myth Realized? I think it's a bad card. Um, I, it's interesting. Uh, it might see play in some weird combo deck, but as a fair magic card, I think it's pretty bad. Uh, in standard, you know, the argument is you play it on turn one, and then you counterspell and Wrath of God and etc. And on turn six, you have this 8-8 eight, eight and you can attack. I don't think, you know, that's good. You know, it has no evasion. It can be chump blocked. You don't want to waste one of your early cards uh, as a finisher. You know, if you are a control deck and you draw your finisher and you're opening seven, that's usually very bad news for you. So I don't think Myth Realized would fit as a control finisher, as people are thinking. It would have to go in some kind of tempo deck and, you know, maybe a heroic deck or something. But I don't think it's that good. For Legacy, a lot of people think this will see play because, you know, they see a one converted mana cost card that does something cool, so it, it has the <laughs> ability to fit into Legacy. But, again, it's just bad. You know, it's it's bad Delver. Uh, it doesn't have evasion. It costs you a mana each turn, so you're getting Thaliad. So you don't want to use it as a Delver replacement. Uh, you don't want to use it as, I don't know, a Tarmogoyf. Tarmogoyf's just straight up better. You know, a two mana 8-9 or something is pretty good. So I, I don't see a home for it in Legacy either. If it sees play somewhere, I'm guessing it's some kind of weird combo deck, like maybe a Jeskai Ascendancy deck, or maybe uh Enchantress-type deck, something like that. So it's definitely an interesting card, and people will try to build a combo around it, so we'll see where it goes, but it doesn't fit one of the normal roles, like a Control Finisher or a, a Tempo card. You mentioned Enchantress. Now I'm very interested. <laughs> I'm very excited. Because I love that deck, and it did it it did show up in a daily. So is this enough to make a deck like Enchantress like come back? Maybe it is an enchantment. You can enlighten tutor for it. it there's some special things about being an enchantment. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping. I really yeah, I really like Enchantress. I'm so sad that it's not as popular as it used to be. Seth, what do you think? Well, in Legacy, you might get some advantages by being an enchantment, but right now in Standard, an enchantment's a pretty bad place to be. There's so <laughs> many good enchantments that people are playing horrible cards like Erase just to deal with Coursers and Mastery of the Unseen. So I don't think this card, I think this card gets hurt because of the other powerful enchantments and the sideboard hate, which is already there for it. Yeah. So maybe in the fall, once... uh 
once all the Theros block enchantments rotate, maybe it'll have a chance. But for right now, I can't see it really making too many waves in standard for that reason alone. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Seth, and I want to, like, stay optimistic about what Richard said about hopefully, you know, making Enchantress a lot better. I don't know, like, if this is what Enchantress is really looking for. I could be wrong, but what, what would that really mean for Legacy if a deck like Enchantress came back? Like, I don't really play his Legacy as much as you do, Richard. Yeah, like, I, I don't actually know. I don't know what the bad or good <laughs> matchups are for Enchantress because barely anyone ever plays it. So when I play against it, I just sit there and like, I, I hope I can beat you. I don't know what's going on, right? So I, I don't really know if they have the slots to put this in. Um, but, like, a deck like Enchantress is pretty easy to hate out. So I'm not, you know, I, I don't think it'll put it over the top or anything if this somehow goes in there. But... They already draw so many cards, I don't see them needing another card to, to finish the game. So it, yeah. it would be like an incremental upgrade rather than like an entire like tier boost, I would imagine. Yeah. As, yeah, and, and in terms of constructed and what Seth was saying about standard, yeah, I just, not right now. I think it could be a good card at some point. Just, yeah, with so many people playing enchantment, like main deck enchantment removal like that, What's that one that makes them sacrifice and you bolster one? Uh, Abzan Advantage, I think? Yeah, like, oh my god. Like, people are playing stuff like that just to deal with enchantments and Mastery of the Unseen. Actually, I would say if, if Mastery of the Unseen didn't get so popular, you know, in these past few weeks, I would say this has a shot. But, As what, like a, a tempo card? Yeah, like, you know, you wouldn't have to, you know, really worry about, like, the like, a card like Abzan Advantage, like, as much as you would. I mean, now everyone really has that much more of a reason to run them because of Mastery. Yeah. But, you know, Corsair, like, is a great card, but not enough for people to really run Enchantment Hate specifically for it. But now that Mastery is all over the place, like, people are playing it more. So I don't know. Yeah, Mithril, like, it's it's decent and standard, but there's no real, like, cantrips under the uh, other than that one really good one that they printed and Patrick Chapin uh they were mentioning him and Mike Flores said um that blue impulse no anticipate anticipate is a very good one so you know it could be like a blue white control deck type what about art. what about like uh Jeskai tokens I mean wouldn't it fit right in there yeah, as like a could. Delver yeah, it could. Yeah, it's like a the turn problem one. Is this is like the most terrible top deck ever. So <laughs> it's not really that bad of a top deck because you can put lore counters on it, like with mana. Yeah, but it's like three mana a turn. That's like really. Yeah, strong, hey, right? I didn't say it's the best <laughs> top deck ever. I said it's not a bad top. Deck. It's like yeah, you it's definitely like a... need it turn one, and then it's kind of questionable. Yeah. Like you need to really make use of that tempo, right? Because it'll be like a yeah. one mana four four that you can't. It's like Sarah. Um, was the Sarah Avenger, the two mana three three flyer that you can't cast on turn one, two, or three. Right. So it's like that, right? So did that ever please see standard play? Like it, you cast it and you can't really very, attack till turn four, very and fringe. it might be a four yeah. four at that point, right? It was very fringe, but I mean, yeah, th you did make a great point that this doesn't have evasion. At least Sarah's Avenger had flying, so you know, who knows? I, I don't think definitely not now. It could be in the future, so. So there's, Richard, you wanted to talk about Living Lore? Yeah, Living Lore is a very interesting card. So this is the uh, three colorless, one blue. It's a creature avatar. 
And as it enters the battlefield, exile an instant or sorcery from your graveyard. Living Lore's power and toughness are each equal to the exiled card's converted mana cost. When Living Lore deals combat damage, you may sacrifice it. If you do, you may cast the card without paying its mana cost. So this card seems very busted. Uh, the, the key word here is it just has to deal damage. So it doesn't have to be to a player. So it's like the GTA clause, like, you send it in, and it's probably going to, you know, trigger its its claws. So the dream is you like turn to Seder Wayfinder, and then you living lore with a treasure cruise or was a temporal trespass, you know, one of those time walk cards, <laughs> and you know just go to town with this like gigantic, you know, goif thing, right? It's like an eight eight in blue, and uh, you know if it dies or you know if it deals combat damage, you can sacrifice it and then draw three cards or take an extra turn. You know, so if the dream is actually true, this thing is absolutely broken. So, you know, we'll see if there's a deck around it. You know, it's it's kind of fragile. You know, it dies to Doomblade and stuff like that. But it's a very interesting card, and I'm glad they printed this. This is something that, you know, people will try to brew decks around, and I'm sure we'll see it pop up in a standard deck list. Seth, what do you think of Living Lore? Well, I got a question for you guys. How, what do the stats have to be on a vanilla four drop to see, to be a standard staple? Like, what do those numbers have to be on the bottom? I'd say, in this standard, a 5-5. Five, five. I would say 6-6 six, six or 7-7. Seven, seven. Well, oh. that, that seems Oof. pretty reasonable then. Like, With a 5-5 five, the... five is like Pelucranos. Yeah, th- I, I, you have to have an ability as well. <laughs> well, well, this tec- technically does too. I mean, you you have to at least match Pelucranos, I think, if you're going to pay four mana, like Desecration Demon, and uh, so that's a four mana six six with a downside, but it flies. So that's why I think seven seven with like just vanilla is pretty decent. What seven mana card in standard can we even get with this? Well, you got Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time. You do have those, yeah. Um, have a lot of Dell cards, right? So any of the Dell spells, Dead Drop. <laughs> <laughs> dead Drop. I mean, even like a, a Murderous Cut makes this fine. Yep. So, I, you know, if you, worst case scenario, you get a Murderous Cut. Best case scenario, you get a Temporal Trespass. Middle of the road, you know, still value scenario, you get a Treasure Cruise or a Dig Through Time. Like, the, the, the thing I like about this card is it works with good cards. So... Temporal Tempest yeah. is like the janky combo, but, you know, Seder Wayfinder, Dig Through Time, Treasure Cruise, those are legitimate cards to be playing, right? So you can just, like, throw this in here, and it's pretty good, right? So you don't need to go that far to make it work, right? Treasure Cruise yeah. is a very playable card. It would just it would just be really awful if they killed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my whole thing. It would just be really, really awful if they... But like, it's just like you played a Pelucranos and they killed it. You're like, yeah, well, it sucks, but... <laughs> yeah, but you also lose a card, too, from your graveyard. Like, I don't know. I guess you wouldn't have really used it anyway, but... And the other thing is this is a blue card, right? If blue had, yeah. like, Pelucranos, I think that's, like, you know, a very special is... thing, right? That is pretty crazy if Blue does have Pelucranos. Uh, so this is, like, the closest thing to that. I I like it for EDH value, too, obviously. Seems very good. Because spells like tem- Temporal Trespass, you know, probably are very normal in that setting. So this could be, like, living the dream, like, 4 mana 10-10, you know, and then you get to Time Walk. 
Yeah, I, like that. I don't like the deal damage clause. Like, I don't know why they they brought this in. It should be to a player because it's it's like the GTA thing where you're screwed no matter what you do. Like, do you have <laughs> removal or no? Right? It hits anything. You know, you can't yeah. attack into it. You can't block it. Like, you really have no way of playing around it aside from you know removing it outright. So I feel like dealing damage to a player would make it more balanced. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Maybe the card sucks so much that you actually need this clause. <laughs> <laughs> we will certainly see. Um, so the last card on the list that we wanted, uh, we have two more actually. So in the time that we talked, there was cards were spoiled that we didn't get to talk about. So one that we wanted to touch on was secure the wastes. So it's an X white instant, put X one, one white warrior creature tokens onto the battlefield. So secure the waste, Richard. What do you think? Uh, it's a great card. I love this card. You know, if if Craig Wesco has a deck for this format, it definitely would go in it. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. white weenie, any kind of warrior deck, any kind of aggressive deck with white will play this card. It's that good, right? Like it, it gives you a mana sink and it's an instant speed way of recovering after a board wipe. So... I think it's a great card, and it's definitely going to see play if there is a white aggressive deck, right? And there usually is a white weenie deck floating around, so uh, I expect to see play, you know, this to see play. Yeah. Seth, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it. it's as cheap as you can get for the effect that you are uh, getting from the card. I mean, one white and X is, you can't get any lower than that. I'm not sure where the card fits exactly. I think, I mean, I I think maybe uh, you could go with Perforos or some other sort of weird <laughs> combo ability. So I don't know where it goes. I mean, even, I guess you could try to end a turn it as like a control finisher if you wanted to. So we'll see. It's an interesting card and there's a lot of possibilities. Yeah, I'm really liking this card. It's definitely one of the better cards in the set. And still might be one of those cards that's being overlooked. I know, you know, set this may not fall into like an underpriced card for pre-order value, uh, just to, for a financial implication, but uh, still could go up even from where it is now. I just, there's, there are a lot of applications for this card. Where it ends up being the strongest is the question mark. But I mean, you definitely mentioned like Purephoros makes this card insane. You know, anything that really uh, token strategies with like a Jeskai Ascendancy or just in a warrior deck on its own, even getting like three creatures from this and then playing a uh, champion of the scale that, that is that what that one's oh. called? Edge? Champ- uh, champion of the Edge, maybe? Yeah, Champion of the Edge, the one that boosts power. Yeah. Yep. So that makes even this like insane. And at instant speed, I mean, this is a bargain. You really don't find cards like this aggressively costed for a token generator the last one that token generator that was even saw play that was at instant speed was white sun zenith so you know this is just insanely good and warrior in this setting obviously makes it a lot better how about a green white devotion mirror breaker (laughs) (laughs) yeah gonna get there you know end of turn make 40 soldiers and try to go wide (laughs) Yeah, I guess having another, like, 20 creatures will definitely seal the deal because each player already has, like, 20, like, manifested guys. So, Yeah, no, Richard, I think that's a good one, too. So 
The last one on our list, Richard really wanted to talk about this. I did too. I think it's a great card. So Dramoka's Command. So Richard, why don't you talk about it first? Yeah, I'm surprised this thing is so aggressively costed. So it's a white and a green. So two converted mana. And uh, you get to choose two modes. So mode one, prevent all damage, target instant or sorcery would deal this turn. Uh, mode two, target player sacrifices an enchantment. Uh, mode three, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. And mode four, target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. So this, I feel, is really broken. Course of Crufix is a real card. You know, Seth was mentioning people play Erase and other, you know, bad cards just to deal with enchantments. So if you get to play this to remove their... Uh, Corsair, and you also get to fight something. Uh, that's a straight-up two-for-one removal spell for two mana. You can also put a plus-one, plus-one counter and fight, be a bad hunt the week. You could prevent a removal spell, like you know any kind of burn spell from hitting your creature and fighting a creature. So it's basically a two-for-one in almost all scenarios uh, for two mana. Um, but the biggest thing for me is just the double removal, right? A lot of enchantments are being are seeing play in standard right now. So just playing this, removing a creature for two mana, that gives you a huge advantage and should probably win you the game. So I expect Dramoka's Command to see a lot of play in Standard, especially while Theros Block is still around. Seth, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you'd have to be trying to not get a two-for-one when you cast this card. Like, it's, it, it, there's almost no way you can go wrong. Like, it's so cheap, and all the options have power in our current format i mean there's plenty of enchantments to kill you can never go wrong fighting a creature and preventing damage is actually a pretty sneaky ability with things like crater's claw and stuff that some of these decks use to finish the game i I think the card's going to be a staple especially for the next uh six months or so yeah i agree this is very very strong right now i initially thought it wasn't that strong when i when i first saw it spoiled and then I reevaluated it. It does every mode is good. I mean, stopping a roast, giving giving your the siege rhino that would have got roasted plus one plus one and already has trample is super relevant. Sacrificing enchantments are super relevant, and fighting is relevant. So, no matter what modes you choose, you're getting a lot of value out of this card. And a lot of the pros, especially over Twitter, seem to be agreeing that this should have probably costed three mana rather than two. Two mana is just insane for the amount of stuff that you get out of this card. I'd say it's the best command by far. Is it the best Uh, charm ever printed? Because it, I mean, two mana makes me think of charms. Yeah, is this a, is this the best charm ever printed? Like, like forever, like in any format or like during its time? Even just think of, like, Return to Ravnica. Is this better than Azurius Charm and all the other charms? Rakdos Charm, Golgari Charm? <sighs> That's a I, tough one. I think it might be. Like, it's definitely one of the better ones, if not the best. I, I don't think I can name it the best charm, because I feel like the best charms are probably always going to have blue in it. But that's just me. Like, is that charm is pretty good, and sees playing Modern... If this card card starts seeing playing modern, I would probably say it's the best. But for now, I think the best charms probably have blue in it. Like Azorius charm was insane when it was in standard. Yeah, no, that's a good point. 
Like, I think it's probably the best charm given its standard environment. Like, you're yeah. not going to see this play in modern because you don't care about killing enchantments in modern. Yeah. But, you know, if I stapled a Doom Blade onto two, you know, a, two Doom Blades onto a two converted mana cost card, like, that's ridiculous. Right? So I, I feel like, you know, that's what this card is. You know, it's conditional, but. Given that you're playing Abzin, you know, your Siege Rider will probably kill anything you fight anyway. So I, I think this is really good, you know, given its standard context, right? While, you know, things like, you know, is it charm, you know, is obviously just better in a general context because all the things it do it does are, you know, format agnostic. You know, they're good yeah. regardless of the context. Um, yep. But I still very, like uh, Jamoka's Command very much. Yeah, me too. I mean, it does hit a specific enchantment in modern, so maybe, maybe it gets there as a way to deal with twin. Who knows? I mean, it's just a good card to always play, and then it, you know, you just so happen to kill it. Yeah, but even then, they just tap it in response, and you lose anyway. So I guess not. Yeah, I guess not. I retract everything I just said. (laughs) (laughs) You might be able to fight, though. Yeah, but then they st- they still just tap and in response. Well, you'd have to play it in response to them playing the twin with the fight ability with the twin on the. Oh stack. right, right, right. Yeah, they would. Ha- yeah, you would have to do that. Yeah. So, so I give mean, creature like plus one plus one counter and fight. Yeah. To get rid of the, the twin creature. Yeah, the creature. Yeah. 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 No, that works. That works. Yeah. Eh. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going. To, I'm going to full 180. <laughs> in the modern scene, like Seth did with Ojutai's Templ- exemplars. <laughs> oh, it doesn't come into play untapped? Oh, I don't like it anymore. Never mind, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so that kind of wraps it up for Dragons of Tarkir. So, while we're, you know, talking financial stuff, let's talk about the hashtag trending segment. So, Seth, why don't you, you know, you haven't had a lot of time to talk, so go ahead. Do the hashtag trending segment for us. Start us off. Alright, well... The big news is there's some weird modern cards that have been spiking this week. The most recent is Knight of Souls Betrayal, which is a uh, two black black enchantment, that a legendary enchantment that yeah, gives legend. all creatures negative one, negative one. So this card has went from basically bulk levels to about $5 in the last couple days. And um, it's seen a bit of play in sideboards uh, from uh, bug decks like the one Gerard Fabiano has been playing, but it doesn't see a ton of play. So that's one of the big spikes of the week. The other one was, huh, I can't think of the name of it now. What's the green white card? There's a lot of green white cards. <laughs> well, <Seth>. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. yes, I guess you're right, Chad. <laughs> the, the, the one that the one that puts the three creatures on top of your life. Yeah, um, Congregation at Dawn. Congregation at Dawn. That's another yeah. one that has went from under a dollar to three or four dollars because of hype or synergy with some cards from the new set. Other than that, we're seeing a lot of the normal stuff with some staples uh, moving around, going up and going down. But those, to me, were the two that stuck out this week. Yeah, so to talk, uh, just to throw out some some of the cards on the list, and you can find these every day on mtggoldfish.com. So some of the modern daily, daily well, the, well, we'll do weekly since the last time we talked was a week ago, so Sower of Temptation, Knight of Souls Betrayal, obviously was the most recent one, Snapcaster Mage, Sword of Light and Shadow, and Fire and Ice, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Damnation, Splinter Twin, 
Crater Hoof and Tarmogoy, Future Sight Edition. And some losers, uh, Linvala, Liliana the Veil, Karn, Liberated, Cryptic, Daybreak Coronet, Geisa St. Traft, Scalding Tarn, and Bitter Blossom. So, yeah, like, like Seth mentioned, there was a lot of just fluctuation in the modern stuff. The big ones are Night of Souls Betrayal and the Sour Temptation. And the swords keep gaining as well, as well as Snapcaster Mage. So keep an eye on those. Uh, the swords, uh, Fire and Ice and Light and Shadow, I would have to say is due to Tiny Leaders, uh, specifically, because those cards are insane in that format. Sour of Temptation is a little more tricky. Is that th- Does anyone have a specific reason why? I think it's sideboard stuff for Bug in Modern. That, yeah, it's seeing uh, an uptick in play as a way to deal with Siege Rhino that doesn't die to abrupt decay in Modern. Yeah, so we have that. So that that's up to about $23 uh, from where it was sitting. It was like, it's been gaining very steadily from right around like, what, 12, 13? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, if you have those, I would be selling those. Uh, if you have Night of Souls Betrayal, I would be selling those. And Congregation at Dawn. Because, I mean, we don't really... The, the synergy is very good. I just don't know, like, in modern... Like, do you want to be doing this turn three? I mean, I don't know. I guess it's like a combo deck. I don't know. I'm so not you, seeing it yet. So you guys think the Knight of Souls Betrayal is a spike? It's not going to maintain its value? Will it go back to bulk? Probably not. But there's just not enough... To, like, there's just not enough incentive because the spike isn't really that high like well it is in the terms of percentages but you have to always take into account like the cards getting shipped if you don't have them and this probably will settle in about three dollar range so if you had them under like one dollar or if you just had them lying around obviously sell them but i don't think it's going to stick to five bucks it's like too fringe to to really like the supply is low enough but it's too fringe to really maintain that like fringe based on playability? Yeah, like, it because, only really shows up as like a one of or two of max. Yeah, because I think it's actually a good card. Like, I, I don't it is a think, good card. The, you know, it's someone's just buying it up for the sake of buying out. But, you know, Lingering Souls is a real card in modern, right? So this yeah, it is. deals with Lingering Souls. Uh, like we talked about before the podcast, you know, if I've had this played against me in Legacy, right? This is a powerful <laughs> effect that you would pay four mana in Legacy, which is basically like eight million mana. Right, so you know, you you would play, you would definitely play it in modern if the situation calls for it. So I feel like, you know, it's actually playable. So you know, will it maintain its price? Probably not, right? Because like as you mentioned, Chaz, you only play one or two of in the board, not just you know random speculation. Yeah, it, it definitely, it it is playability and not really just speculation. But yeah. I mean, it's it's also pretty obviously a buyout like if you just look at the the price chart that huge spike straight up like it's not like people have just been buying copies over the last few months like someone bought them all out like in a day or two or some group of people but the the magic online price was more steady right it was can you buy out magic online like maybe someone bought out moto as well right yeah so the online has been you know going up pretty gradual like more gradually i should say than the paper version where you see that direct vertical spike. And when you see those that flat line and then a direct vertical spike, that's a that's a buyout or a you know, a someone 
or large groups of people just buying out a lot of copies, either, you know, had to be low supply or just so happens that that was a day that they, that people do it because this was a card like two weeks ago and it did really nothing. Like Gerard Fabiano won that GP like two weeks ago. Why didn't it spike then? So a lot of questions. I would sell them if I had them already. So I don't know if I have too many, but if I had them, I'd be selling them. Same with Congregation at Dawn. I mean, it's an uncommon. I understand there's not a lot of supply, but I don't know if $4 for an uncommon that's untested, unproven, is really where you want to be right now. So any more trending segment? Um, Anything more? There has. It looks like there's been a lot of tiny leader stuff this week, too. I mean, Order of the White Clay went up huge. Yeah. Uh, Toshiro Yumazawa went up huge. The Swords, as you mentioned. So a lot of the big weekly changers seem like directly tied to tiny leaders, which is kind of interesting because these aren't foil copies. Like the first big jumps in tiny leaders were all foils. And now we're seeing some normal copies up 200, 300% in a week. Yeah. Well, I think in terms of like Toshiro Umazawa, uh, there were, I mean, the supply on those guys aren't, there's not a lot of them already. And the foil version is $30. So maybe this could just be, you know, again, you see that very direct vertical jump. So people are kind of buying the normal versions. I mean, I don't know. The multiplier on the foil is insane. So I guess this could just be, you know, people thinking that it could, it should be price corrected. Yeah, I mean, that could be an order of the white clay, I guess, is similar. The foil on that's listed at almost 50 bucks. Yeah, so... You know, those multipliers are very wacky. So I guess, that, you know, just the regular copies are just getting bought because the multiplier is so out of whack. I mean, I'm assuming, yeah, I think that's true. I think the foils, if you look at their foil charts, were bought up a month ago, a few weeks ago. And then maybe people are just realizing now that the normal copies are underpriced compared to where the foils are, which is basically what you were suggesting. So I think you're, I think you're on the right track. Yeah. Uh, another interesting one to see is Snapcaster Mage on there. And I have a, I had a lot of people talking to me about Snapcaster Mage. You know, what should they really be doing with Snapcaster Mage? Should they be selling them? Should they wait more? What's the buy list going to be doing with Snapcaster Mage? And my answer to them is there's nothing forcing me to sell Snapcaster Mage. Like, there's no impending reprint right now with Modern Masters 2015. It's not going to be in there. So I'm not really, I don't really feel forced to sell them. And it looks like, like I was right because the, it's been steadily increasing. And I also have been talking a lot uh, on various outlets, Twitter, Facebook, that w- why is this, why was Snapcaster, Ma- like why, why is it surprising to see Snapcaster Mage go up when Dark Confidant is already like an $80 card? Like, to me, Dark Confidant should be coming down to where Snapcaster was in the $40, you know, $50 range, and Snapcaster should be the $80 card. Because, let's just be honest, like, I know Dark Confidant's a really good card, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't a few podcasts ago, you know, Richard, you were saying Dark Confidant doesn't see a lot of play anymore, right? It doesn't see a lot of play in as much in Legacy, Modern, so Snapcaster Mage sees more play than Dark Confidant does. Especially in Legacy and Modern, right? 
I don't know. Bob's my favorite car. You're not going to get me to turn on Bob. <laughs> Bob is criminally underplayed. Bob is, I think, I'm going to go on the record and say way better than Staffcaster Mage. But, you know, I, I, I say Staffcaster should reach Bob's price rather than Bob reach Staffcaster's yeah. price. Yeah, so maybe not a complete flip-flop, but it should be, they should be on the same level in terms of just a, a playability standpoint. What do you think, Seth? Oh, I, I agree. I mean, and a lot of people have been talking about this ever since we got the Modern Masters 2015 announcement. Like, Snapcaster, I mean, especially a few months ago, was the slam dunk best buy in all of Modern. Like, you knew it wasn't going to get reprinted. It sees a ton of play, and it's not going anywhere. So I think this uh, increase in price is expected rather than a surprise for me. Yeah, it's expected for me too. So do you think it just keeps gaining? What do you think? Do you, I know a lot of people are probably out there hoarding a lot of these. So do you see like at, once it gets to a certain point, it'll crash? Because that um, could end up happening too. That could happen. I mean, for me, with modern cards that I know are not going to get reprinted, I definitely want to hold them at least through the big Modern Masters hype in a couple months. Like, right. if there's a time when you might be able to cash out for 70 or $80, I would be tempted by that over the summer. But right now, I'm waiting it out at least through Modern Masters 2015. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another big outlet that you could be selling these like at a full premium price is like GP Vegas. So I would be waiting at least until then. So... That, that could be a, a good avenue for people to, you know, unload those those cards. Yeah, and like you said, Seth, the Tiny Leader stuff is still happening. So for people out there that think this has kind of been a fad, uh, I don't really think it's a fad. I think it could stay a thing as long as it's, you know, the creators really nurture it and keep it going. I mean, I don't really see why it would go away. And the market indicates that it feels the same way because – Staples are still getting bought. Yeah. So any other kind of final thoughts on trending? Oh. All right. Okay. So uh, let's talk a little bit about what happened uh, Star City Dallas. And the big thing, I guess, for me, that there was no green-white devotion, right? So, Seth, why don't you talk a little bit about Star City Dallas? All right. So Star City Dallas uh, was this past weekend. Uh, it was taken down by Salt High Control. Um, the top eight was basically a lot of Saltai decks versus a lot of Jeskai decks with a couple of outliers thrown in. I think that the big news, I mean, is obviously that Green-White, which was so dominant the weekend before, putting both players into the finals, was basically nowhere to be seen in the top eight or top 16. So I'm not sure exactly why there was this huge drop-off. Um, what about you guys? You got any idea why green white just didn't show up in Dallas? Time management. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's my, that's my prediction. <laughs> what do you think, Richard? I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just glad maybe, maybe star city plate paid their players off not to play <laughs> green white devotion. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but I was kind of glad, you know, it, it was something cool to see for the first time, but, you know, coverage really dragged on as every, you know, match went to time. So I'm kind of glad it's gone, but, you know, it's only one event. So maybe next week we'll see, you know, green-white devotion come back. You yeah. know, it, it's, well, you know, can't take too much information away from one event. So right. we'll, we'll see if it's it's gone or if it'll be here to stay if we see it in the next uh, two, three weeks. 
Yeah, and Richard likes Whisperwood Elemental, but he doesn't like it that much. Right? <laughs> I, I like my matches to be short yeah. on time. You know, just just slightly under round time, so they don't have too much dead space. But you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to see people draw going and not progressing the game every single turn. Yeah, and that's why he plays Legacy. So, do you want to talk about the Legacy section of the uh, of of Dallas? I do. Uh, someone tweeted at me. Some interesting news from the Legacy IQ. Uh, the second place deck was Grixis Delver featuring Gurmog Angler. Oh my god. Multi format all stars. So Chapin was onto it. He knew the power of this card. Legacy Staple. Oh <laughs> so it was played as a one of. And it's basically a goif, a black goif, right? Like you play it for one black and you get a 5 5. So, you know, is this deck optimal? I don't know. But the fact that Gurmog Angler like can be played in a deck is exciting news, right? <laughs> like it's it's an interesting dimension. Like every time I play against Tasker, Tasker just dies as a four or five. He never gets to use his ability. So maybe Gurmog Angler is just better, right? The the extra power may be enough to take down a four or five Goyf, right? So it'll be interesting to see uh, if this trend continues. But I'm excited to see you know limited cards being played in Legacy. <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah, I couldn't believe it either. <laughs> it, it's 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 definitely interesting. Uh, so nothing else other than that. It was a pretty straightforward uh, top eight. I know you mentioned there was a lot of reanimator. Yeah, I saw a lot of reanimator. I'm not sure why. Reanimator is a pretty in a pretty bad spot now. Uh, Containment priest kind of shuts down everything reanimate has. So typically, you know, when the graveyard hate comes in, reanimator switches to show and tell, uh, but Containment Priest stops that as well. So the only other thing you have is like the Pack Rat plan, you know, another multi-format all-star where you just slam a Pack Rat and go to town. So I'm surprised it did that well. But uh, one thing I realized is I started playing Legacy on Moto. You know, I bought into Legacy to practice on Moto. The meta game is completely different from uh, my local game store. So, you know, Legacy, all the decks have a give and take against other decks. So what what deck actually does well, it depends on the quality of the pilot and the metagame. So it's possible, you know, from city to city, the metagame is vastly different, and thus you're going to see, you know, very different decks putting up results. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, the the relationship between online and paper is very different. And just to go over briefly the modern part of the IQ, it was very similar to what we've been seeing already. Uh, Infect... Affinity, Burn, um, a, a Blue-Red Delver list did get into the top eight. A little bit more Merfolk, uh, but a, a very, very similar top eight in Modern. So nothing really huge to report there. So any other kind of thoughts on these past on these events over this past weekend? All right, one quick question. So yeah. we already heard that Gurmog Angler made the top four in Legacy. In Modern... Dark Slick Drake made the top four. Which <laughs> of those is Stranger? <laughs> Dark Slick Drake, for sure. It, it, it's like the time like Jacob Wilson like plays Tybalt in his Legacy deck. Like <laughs> That's obviously a troll card. <laughs> Gurmog Angler, though, I think is a legitimate addition. Like, I think it's actually put in there for a reason. But, you know, it's like... Uh, I remember like when Delver was a big thing, Jerry Thompson played like that one-mana one-two to block Lingering Souls and uh, unflip Delvers as a, as a troll card, and it's a one-of, so you don't really draw it that much, right? 
Right. But, uh, the Drake was a two of, so that that guy really wanted to showboat. <laughs> Mega troll. Yeah. It was like uh, when people were playing like yoked ox. Remember in like I forget when Theros like first came out a while back. Limited. Wait, that's, that's, that's a legitimate blocker, man. That's not yeah. a troll card. <laughs> Well, I guess, yeah, I guess it's not really a troll as much as troll as, like, Dark Slick Drake, but, I mean, a four-mana 2-4 flying, you draw a card. That's not that bad. Nah, it's troll. <laughs> <laughs> I, we should probably just reach out to the pilot and see what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I got him to third place, so maybe it worked for him. If you're listening, Cruise Hail, let us know why you play Dark Slick Drake. Yeah. Did you were you at the IQ and you just had two spots and you couldn't get the card you wanted from the vendors? He's just so. doing a uh, Gerard Fabiano, right? He's just like opening up his binders, like, oh look, it's a bug <laughs> card. Let's just slam it in here. Yeah, <laughs> probably be good. <laughs> All right, so there was another announcement, and this is for the people on Moto. So they released the Mox M O C S, not Mox as an M O X promos and one of them is damnation so why is this important do you want to talk about that a little bit richard and seth i know you guys use moto yeah so i don't know that it's important for moto right so my my initial (laughs) reaction was this means damnation is not in modern masters 2 like why would you give it out as a mox promo only to release it uh, a month later in modern masters 2 so that's what I thought the announcement was. You know, it's kind of the information behind the information. Um, but Seth told me that this isn't unprecedented. They released Force of Will as a Mox promo and then released it in VMA. Uh, so Seth, do you want to talk more about that? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, uh, along with not being sure if they're going to reprint Damnation in MMA or not, I know there's a connection between Paper Magic and Moto. But I'm not sure that connection is strong enough that they're intentionally not going to put a card in a paper set just because it's a Mox promo. So I don't, I don't know. The thing that it made me wonder is, if they're not putting it in MMA, why can't they just reprint it in Standard? Like, is Damnation really just too good for Standard? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's, it's too strong for Standard. So 4-mana Wrath is too strong, or Black 4-mana Wrath is too strong? I'd say both. Unless they print card like Hellrider, and I'm not talking like Brutal Horde Chief, which was like their kind of attempt to mimic that card. Four mana Wraths really put aggro decks like out of the format. So uh, more so than uh, like other decks. So like if you look at it now, a deck like Heroic wouldn't really be effective if there was a four mana Wrath. Is that a bad thing? Is heroic not being a deck really a bad thing? Like right now, like <laughs> control decks aren't really decks. I know Saltai's been doing all right lately, but I think it's just you damn aggro players don't want to let people like me dirtle. Yeah, well, I yeah, that's exactly why. That's exactly <laughs> why. Uh, well, if you look, you know, they they kind of wanted to push this five mana wrath thing, where wraths or cards that do something like a Wrath are going to be five mana from now on. So it'd be really weird to go away from that and then just all of a sudden print Damnation. You know, so they made spot removal a lot better. Like, why can't control decks just play with spot removal? And why can't control... I mean, blue-black control has been doing just fine with a card like Perilous Vault or Crux of Fate. I mean, is it really a bad thing to have... Like, 
is it really a bad thing to have a five mana wrath? Well, because... I, yeah, I mean, the thing is, they've been making creatures so much stronger. Like, the rates on creatures and their efficiency has gotten so much better over the past ten years that I think there needs to be some sort of safety valve, or else we're just going to have Siege Rhinos bouncing into each other all day, every standard. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly interesting, but it's like, why get rid of a deck like Heroic, a really true kind of, and that's not even like a really true aggro deck. I mean, Mono Red is still around. I mean, you have, it doesn't seem to be hurting Standard because Standard is pretty diverse without a four mana Wrath. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, the thing is, though, if you're a true aggro deck, can't you get in underneath a four mana Wrath anyway? But if you're a control deck, five mana means even so-so aggro decks or like somewhat sort of a little bit aggro decks are going to kill you before you get to sweep the board. Yeah, I mean, you can get under the wrath. I mean, it's been done before, but you know, once once the four mana wrath happens, I mean, control decks can stabilize so much easier than an aggro deck unless all the creatures had haste. I mean, or have like a hell rider type creature where you can draw those kind of creatures off the top. I'd say with the recent additions of all these mono-red cards, I'd say that a four-mana Wrath wouldn't really kill the mono-red deck. I mean, you have cards like Dragon Whisperer, you have, you know, Zergo, you have just all these kind of hasted cards, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think without, like, very good red cards or, like, a Hellrider that, you know, four-mana Wrath would just push a lot of the aggro decks out of the format. I mean, it would be even, like more Siege Rhino than it is now, because it would just be the mid-range decks versus control decks. Well, so. well, then, my question is, where are they going to print Damnation? I mean, they got to reprint the card, even just for casual EDH players. Where do you think it's going to come up? Um, I mean, it could still come up in Modern Masters 2015, but it would have to be a Mythic, right? Is that card too powerful? That card is too powerful as a rare for a limited setting. Eh, I don't know. I mean, maybe it is. I guess it depends on the archetypes and what what the set's like. Yeah. I don't know where they could reprint it. I mean, Modern Masters, maybe like a supplement product that doesn't have to go through standard. Like Commander, like a Commander deck or something? Yeah. I mean, they printed a Worm Coil engine, and that was like $18. I mean, printing Damnation in a Commander product would kind of destroy its value, but... I guess they're not really concerned about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sure it'll get reprinted somewhere. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. I wouldn't mind it back in standard, but I can can see your points on that. Well, of course you wouldn't mind it back (laughs) in standard. (laughs) Um, No, it it would just be really weird for them to, like, do this whole five-mana rat thing and then, like, turn around and print Damnation of all things. Like, you know, Day of Judgment's one thing, but, like, a black... Sweeper, like, never re- was, was, like, just really too powerful. Since they're trying out different mana costs with their Wrath, I think next standard they should try a three-mana Wrath. Yeah. Just for, just for me. All right. Three-mana Wrath. Wizards, no three-mana yeah. Wrath. No more aggro decks for Seth. <laughs> he doesn't like mono-red as it is, so <laughs> might as well just throw him a hand out. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that really kind of wraps things up for the what-if scenario of Damnation. Uh, is there anything else really going on? Is there anything else? We talked about trending. We talked about uh, Dragons and Tarkir. Uh, yes. Yeah, so before we wrap things up, um, just to touch on the financial implications a little more. So you're going to do the EV 
article. So what do you think is like really just a bold prediction for Dragons of Tarkir in a financial standpoint? I think that because the set looks to be low value, I think one of the Planeswalkers is going to cost a lot more than it would if it was in Cons of Takar or Fate Reforged or another higher value set. So which one do you think it's going to be? Well, I've been on Sarkin as the better Planeswalker for a while now, so I guess I'm going to stick to my guns and say that uh, six months from now or this fall, Sarkin is going to be still be an expensive card, 30 or $40. All right, interesting. I'm going to have to say similar. I think the Planeswalkers won't really dip in value too much because, I mean, yes, there's going to be a low EV. A set can have a low EV, but something like even in Dragon's Maze, you know, there was stuff soaking up EV. I mean, years later, obviously, I wouldn't want to open a box because if you don't, I mean, Voice of Resurgence is still the only card worth a damn. But I mean, that that's thing, why... But. That's why Voice was, what, 60 bucks. Like, if it was in an expensive set, there's no way Voice would have maintained that high of a price. Right. So. Kind of uh, interesting. Maybe Voice rebounds, because um, that's another card that's probably a little undervalued right now. Yeah? Yeah. Um, my bold prediction is there's, aside from the Mythics, there's definitely a rare in the set that's going to do something similar to Tazigur. What that rare is, I don't know. But if I had to guess, and just from playing, I really like Dramoka's Command, and I really like Commune with uh, Lava. I think it's going to be something like that. Probably more towards Commune with Lava, because there's just not a card like it that does what it does. Especially at instant speed. I don't know. $1.50 doesn't seem like that should be the price of a card like that. I could see it. Yeah. So, it's either... Uh, we'll, we'll see from your article, you're doing EV, you'll do the numbers, but it could just be that a few rares, you know, across the board increase in a couple dollars to kind of even that out, or one could soak up a lot of value. Yep. Yep. All right. So, um, that about oh. wraps things up. Oh, go ahead. Before we go, uh, everybody don't forget this weekend is pre-release events across the world. So if you want to go out and have some fun with the new Dragons of Takara cards, uh, make sure to be there uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and have a good time. Yeah, and uh, we're always here. MTG Goldfish podcast crew will be taking questions, comment, concerns at hashtag MTG Fishmail. So let us know how your your pre-release went. We're we're eager to know. So that's about wrap things up for episode 11. Thanks for joining us here on the MTG Goldfish podcast. This is the crew signing out. <laughs>